Tara Grant was a thriving mother, wife, and employee. She traveled a lot for work, leaving her husband and the nanny to care for their two children, Lindsay and Ian. Tara had an amazing job working for Washington Group International. She was the breadwinner for the family. Although she worked in the office in Michigan, she ran the company's office in Puerto Rico. Before Tara was a Grant, she was Tara Destrompe, who was born and raised in Perkins Township in Michigan's Upper Peninsula with her mom, dad, and sister. If you're not familiar with Michigan's Upper Peninsula, otherwise known as the UP, it is very rural, very desolate. There's not a whole lot up in the UP. So you can imagine she grew up a little bit sheltered, um, but nonetheless, she did well in school and she participated in a few extracurricular activities. She also attended community college in her small town after high school and later decided to come down to the Lower Peninsula, otherwise known as the Mitten, to attend Michigan State University in Lansing. Lansing is where she met her husband, Stephen Grant, in 1994. Stephen asked her out, but she wasn't impressed by him, so she turned him down. When Tara's grandmother passed, she had to return home to the Upper Peninsula to attend the funeral. When she arrived, Stephen was at the funeral. The two began dating when they returned home to Lansing. As a child, Stephen was not the most well-behaved. His parents moved the small family, including Stephen and his younger sister, to Detroit from Canada so that his father could work during the booming auto industry. Stephen was in trouble a lot for stealing and doing the daring things his friends were afraid to do. He attended a community college with no major or real direction. His stealing record extended during this time of his life. Stephen eventually attended Michigan State University to study education and history. He dropped out four years later to take a job with former state Senator Jack Faxon. He was really into Tara, but like I said before, she was just not that into him until he made that surprise trip to her hometown during her grandmother's funeral. Of course, it was awkward for him being around her family, especially because she had a guy that she said was kind of her boyfriend that was there already. Stephen returned to Lansing and Tara called to tell him she was in love with him. Stephen Grant and Tara Destrompe got married after he proposed in December of 1994. They moved closer to Detroit, where Tara started the job at Washington Group International. Meanwhile, Stephen had to ask his father for a job at his tool and die shop in Mount Clemens, Michigan, because he was let go from his other job. In November of 2000, the couple had welcomed their baby girl, Lindsay. Life was going well. They were a pretty successful family and were able to move to Washington Township where they had baby boy Ian in 2002. They seemed to have the most perfect life. They didn't have to worry about money. They had a nice house and a nice subdivision and a cute little family. No one knew how closed off Tara was from her husband. No one knew anything because Tara shared nothing about her life to anyone. The couple even went on to renew their vows on their 10th wedding anniversary. Tara started to move up the corporate ladder and in 2006 was when she was asked to run the company's Puerto Rico office. She was excited to take the job, but it meant she constantly had to travel. This was hard for Stephen to manage. 
being the only one at home with two young children. The couple had to hire a nanny to help Stephen manage the household. Verena Dirks was a 19-year-old young lady from Germany and became the Grant's live-in nanny. Tara knew she was slacking off a little in her marriage and tried to make things better. She wanted to exercise, to stop the yelling, have monthly date nights, and get better at communicating. While she was trying to better herself, Stephen, not so much. He had started communicating with an old girlfriend of his. They had always been friends, but it became more frequent. He talked to her about how he did not want to be married anymore. He told her that he enjoyed being married, but that he just thought of marriage like speed limits. Sometimes you have to break them. You just need to keep an eye on the road to avoid detection. While he was doing that, he found that Tara may have been doing the same thing years prior. To get back at her, he started flirting with the nanny, constantly telling her how he felt about her. Every night that Tara was gone, the two shared a bed, but they both said their relationship went no further than cuddling and kissing. The Grant's daughter went into her parents' room to see the two in bed together, but Verena quickly went under the covers so that she wasn't seen. Tara's normal travel schedule was to leave Monday, heading to Puerto Rico and back to Michigan on Friday. After getting back from Puerto Rico for the last time in February of 2007, Tara resented having to tell Stephen she had to leave the following Sunday instead of Monday. She knew that he would be pissed and it would start problems. She was right. That night, as soon as she told him, it struck an argument. Stephen said that Tara packed a bag, got on the phone, and told someone to pick her up in the driveway and got into a black SUV. Never to be seen again. Stephen sent a message to Verena while she was out with friends, telling her she owed him a kiss. Then told her to hurry home before Tara so they could kiss. Verena walked in the house hours later to find Stephen yelling at her, asking about why she was even there, then proceeded to tell her about the argument he had just had with his wife Tara and she had just walked out on him. Stephen was so distraught over the argument with his wife, he cried to the nanny and invited her into his bed that night. He was constantly calling Tara's phone, leaving voicemails. It's me. Um, I'm just trying to find out what's going on this morning, um, or today, or uh, if you're still leaving today, if you're leaving tomorrow, um, what's going on, and if you're going uh, to come by, um, just tell me ahead of time so I can make plans, make sure the kids are here because they want to see you. Um, give me a call. Bye. Hey, it's me once again. Um, it's quarter to seven. I'm going to tell you this. If I don't hear back from you in 15 minutes, I'm going to call Randy, get Lou's cell number, and find out what's going on. Um, this is nonsense, Tara. You owe me a phone call. You owe me to let me know what's going on between us. Please call. He called her family and friends to see if anyone had spoken to her, which no one had. It wasn't until February 14th, Valentine's Day, when Stephen reported his wife missing. He told police he wished he hadn't waited the five days to report her missing, but he was expecting her to be back. He said he thought she had just gone back to Puerto Rico and would be back soon. He was open with the police, told them about the argument, and even let them in the house allowing them to check cell phone and bank records. The last calls were from Friday night, and the last card transaction was in her work-issued credit card to get a ride from the airport on Friday night. The airport said that Tara had not changed her flight to head back to Puerto Rico early, 
It wasn't even changed from Monday to Sunday, like Stephen had said their argument was about. Investigators even checked with all the car services in the area. No one had picked up Tara in a black SUV, like Stephen had claimed. She hadn't even used a car service in a while. She always drove herself to the airport. Police asked Stephen if he would be willing to take a polygraph test. He agreed, but then he lawyered up and backed out. Police had no evidence at that point that he did anything. All they had to go on was the fact that he mentioned an argument. Maybe the argument was more serious than Stephen had made it out to be, but all they could do at that time was place Stephen under heavy surveillance. They watched him hard. He stopped cooperating with police, but was always on the news, pleading for Tara to return home to her family. On the news, he went from wanting her to come home to talking about how he was a better mom than Tara was, because she was never home. While under surveillance, police noticed that every morning on Stephen's way to work, he would stop at the gas station and purchase all the major newspapers. To police, it seemed that he was doing this to see if they had any new leads on his wife. If he was really worried about his wife and really wanted her back home, it would make much more sense for him to go to the police or to call the investigators to check on the progression of the investigation. Why would he be buying newspapers? Police followed up on all leads in the search for Tara Grant. In the investigation while speaking with police, Stephen mentioned plenty of times about a park near their house. The family spent plenty of time at Stony Creek Metro Park. Stony Creek is not just a regular park. This is a huge 4,500-acre metro park, and it extends across two counties. It's open year-round with activities for every season. Police thought it was curious he mentioned it so much. That was where they decided to go search. When Stephen heard about the search at Stony Creek, he requested to be there. The search went on in the cool February weather for eight hours, and they found nothing and no leads. Police asked the community to report everything, even if it didn't look right, report it. A woman called in and reported a finding on February the 28th. She was walking and saw a gallon-sized plastic bag with more bags, latex gloves, and blood inside. She noticed the bag because it was red, which made it stand out in the snow. She safely took the plastic from the woods to her garage and waited for the police to come check it out. It was discovered that the blood inside the bag was human blood, and there were microscopic metal shavings in the bag. Because the bag was found in the woods so close to the Grant home, it gave them a reason to get a search warrant on the Grant home as well as Stephen's job at his father's shop. A warrant was served on March 2, 2007. The investigators kept watch on Stephen, stopping him on his way home from work to inform him that his property was being searched. While the search was going on, he was fidgety and he wouldn't make eye contact with anyone. The officers had no reason to hold him during the search and Stephen left. He couldn't take his car because that was included in the search warrant. So he instead asked a neighbor down the road if he could borrow his car. He told him he had to leave the home in order for them to search it. The neighbor believed him and loaned Stephen a bright yellow pickup truck. He left in the yellow truck, just him and his dog. He called his sister, she wasn't home, but asked if he could come get her house keys so he could go drop the dog off at her house while the search was going on. Stephen was putting together his getaway plan in a very, very small amount of time. His sister agreed and he dropped the dog off and stole a bottle of her Vicodin and he left. 
Soon after, the search team made their way to the garage, where they found a plastic tote that they had not seen during the first search of the home. When the officer opened the plastic tote, there was a plastic bag inside. He said when he poked at it, it was soft and it had some give. When the bag was fully opened, it was stuffed with a fully dressed human torso and more metal shavings. Tara Grant's body was found just moments after letting Stephen Grant walk away with no real idea on where he was going. The next place to search was the tool and die shop. Although the place was a mess, they noticed the metal shavings. The main thing they were looking for was the rest of Tara's body. So they went on a more extensive search of the Stony Creek Metro Park. They brought cadaver dogs this time. The dogs found most of her remains scattered throughout the park and all that was found was taken to the medical examiner's office. They discovered she had suffered a blow to her jaw and was strangled. It was noted that she was probably cut up by many different types of blades. Investigators received a call from Verena, who was moved back to Germany when the case fully broke. She called to say that she had gotten a phone call from Stephen Grant saying he was about to kill himself. She admitted everything to the investigator. She told them the night that Tara went missing that she had, quote-unquote, left him. She told them the night that Tara went missing, or the night that Stephen claims she left him, that they had sex in the married couple's bed. Stephen admitted to her that he killed Tara that night, telling her it was in self-defense, that he had to push her, which caused her to fall and hit her head. They now had a confession. While all of this was going on, Stephen was still missing. Stephen's sister had called and told investigators that her brother had called and said he was heading up north to a cabin to hide out. The area code where Stephen had called Verena from was the same area code that the cabin was in. On March 4th of 2007, Stephen Grant was found in a park 280 miles away from home. They found him by tracking the phone call he last made to his sister. They had helicopters, local, state, and FBI were out looking for him. He tried to kill himself with the pills he had stolen and various alcoholic drinks. There was also a major blizzard going on at the time. It was hard for him to see while driving, especially while heavily intoxicated. He figured if he got out of the car and went into the Wilderness State Park, he would freeze to death before passing out. Before he got out of the car, he wrote a letter to his children. When they found Stephen Grant, he had pants, a shirt, socks, no coat, no boots, or anything else that would protect him in a blizzard. He had frostbite and hypothermia. He was rushed to the Northern Michigan Hospital. While in police custody in the hospital, Stephen confessed to the murder of his wife. She said, I gotta do what I have to do my job. It's none of your business. So she started to turn around and I grabbed the wrist. Said, Just stop. I said, you're not going anywhere. And she said, we're gonna finish this conversation. And she slapped. And after that, I don't really remember what happened. She fell and then she banged back her head on the floor. And then she said something like, that's it. I'm gonna take the kids, you're gonna be homeless. You piece of and I choked her after on the carpet. She had started to get back up when I my hand on her neck. But grabbed her neck and choked her. Were you looking at her face? No, I covered her face up. 
He told them about the argument and how intense it had gotten. The couple both said very hurtful things, and Stephen felt emasculated by what Tara said to him. So he strangled her. Then he took her body to his job, his father's tool and die shop, and dismembered her body, leaving nothing attached to her torso. After that, he took her remains to Stony Creek Metro Park and disposed of them there. When he learned about the search, he went to the park and moved her torso and put it in the garage in that plastic tote. His plan was to bury it later on. Soon, Stephen was moved from the hospital to the jail in Macomb County. He was formally charged there with one count of homicide, murder in the first degree, and dismemberment of a dead body. On Friday, December 21st of 2007, a jury found him guilty of second-degree murder. Prosecutors had sought a first-degree murder conviction, but the jury could not unanimously agree that Stevens' actions were premeditated. The defense was hoping for a sentence of 15 to 25 years, but Macomb County Circuit Judge Diane Druszynski agreed with the prosecution recommendation of a sentence of 50 to 80 years. He also received six to 10 additional years for mutilating his wife's body. Judge Druszynski called his actions demonic, manipulative, barbaric, and dishonest. He is currently housed in Bellamy Creek Correctional Facility in Ionia, Michigan. Stephen Grant showed almost no emotion during his hearing. He did look a little troubled though, as Alicia Standerfer, Tara Grant's sister, described how the two young Grant children were struggling knowing their father took away their mother forever. She said, and I quote, he's so much of a coward, he doesn't even look me in the eye in the courtroom. The murder of Tara Grant was like a domino effect. The Grant children, Lindsay and Ian, they were left with no parents. Their mother was dead, their father behind bars. The children ended up moving out of state to live with their aunt, Alicia. On June 13th of 2008, Stephen's father, William Allen Grant, committed suicide in Capac, Michigan from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Early reports did indicate that William Grant was seeking some visitation with the two Grant grandchildren. Initially, Grant's father was transported to the hospital by deputies who got to his house after he called 911 and said he wanted to report a suicide. When asked whose suicide he was reporting, Grant allegedly said it was his own. Deputies said they heard a single gunshot when they arrived at the scene and Grant was inside the garage still breathing. He died three hours later during treatment at the hospital. Bill Lee, who owns the shop next to the Grants, said Grant never seemed to recover from the blow. He said he was really upset about it, especially what happened in his shop, but he never complained. He accepted it, but he didn't go into detail, Lee said. It was just a sad, sad thing what happened with his son. Stephen's sister is now left without a father and a brother behind bars for the rest of his life. So wrapping it up, it's like it had a domino effect, all the people that were affected, and ultimately, ultimately, this Stephen Grant really did a number on a lot of people's lives, not only his own children, but his own family. His father, his father killed himself because of this evil monster. Thank you for listening.